Once Upon a Time, Season 4, Episode 19 is over, but we are just getting started here on Once Upon a Recap. Hello, all you magical people out there. My name is Mike Bloom. We're the co-hosts of Once Upon a Recap, and I am joined, as always, he just finished having dinner at the Coffee Mug Diner with a wolf that he found in the middle of the road. It's the one and only Kurt Clark. Kurt, how you doing? You know what, Mike? It's like I'm cursed. My whole life is darkness, and when you're around, things are brighter. Oh, that means we have to keep podcasting, right? That's that's the way it works. That's the way that it was fated to be. But you know what? But you know what? Unless the the Clark curse strikes and this is the final season of Once Upon a Time, I just I just ruin everything in your life. That's true. You and I don't even want to talk about the armed robbery you've committed. Uh, It just seemed you're on you're on a downward spiral here. But I'm here to I'm here to pull you out. And I hope none of you listeners are on a downward spiral. Uh, I just got to say off the top, Kurt, what an episode. I've, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I when I saw some of the previews and I saw it was good, I was afraid it was just going to be a lot of talking and moping. Um, but it for a for a it tied a lot of things together and throughout the episode, as I had questions, they were answered. Um, I wasn't initially looking. To, I thought it was just going to be a lot of Emma and Lily talking, like I said, yeah. and it, it was a lot more than that. And so I actually really ended up enjoying it. Yeah, they really compartmentalized that whole Emma Lily thing. I thought that would be something that would have been carried out over like two, three episodes. And actually, I'll start here by issuing a, a correction slash a clarification that I realized after we recorded last time. I think I said last time that this was like the fourth to last or like there were four episodes left. And technically after this episode, there are three left. But they're counting the last two episodes together as the two-parter, as like two separate episodes. So basically, we have two weeks until the finale. Uh, yeah, and, I, and I saw a thing on the, on the 17th, uh, the Sunday after that, there's some sort of like Billboard Music Awards or something. So I think that that might be why they ended up kind of bumping things up a little bit. Yeah. So it's weird to think that like we are really careening into the finale here. Uh, and I'm sure we have to talk about I, I don't know if the Darth Emma storyline is over, but it looks like there's a big pause in put into it for now. But I was happy to see Lily. It was intriguing to see her being placed in certain points of the plot. And I definitely enjoyed facets of the episode. That being said, the ending elicited a huge groan from me as I was watching it at the time. Really? Yeah, that's just so it's it's just so soap opera y for me, you know, to be like, oh, but you can. Zelina's pregnant. Like, oh, that's sorry. That ending. I was thinking of the uh, the uh, Billy on the bus ending. Oh, no. no. Okay. No, I agree completely. Okay. Yeah, Lily, no, Lily on the bus. I'm (laughs) sure we'll talk about that. That was interesting. And I'm glad it. I'm like, we talk about the show answering questions this season almost immediately. I was happy because throughout the episode, I was getting ready to gripe about the fact that how did Lily find out about literally (laughs) everything when she has no idea what's been going on? And now we realize that the apprentice has been (laughs) behind it. But yeah, the uh, Zelina's pregnant thing, not a big fan. Yeah, yeah. But we'll, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Absolutely. Let, let's let's start off at the very top here and the very top of the show, both chronologically as well as Kurt. Uh, one of your theories has officially <laughs> been busted here uh, on Kurt Clark Mythbusters. Because is this the theory that the Sorcerer's Apprentice is actually the Sorcerer? Yes. Uh, and I don't know if your theory. I don't think I don't know if anyone made the theory that the Sorcerer is actually just a big ball of colored gas. Um. Well, we don't really have confirmation necessarily oh, that come the on. sorcerer <laughs> himself. And you know, maybe this is like just like some self-meditation and he's actually talking to himself. I, I did have to watch this section on, on a closed captioning because what the ball of light was saying was a bit echoey and I, I had yeah. some trouble hearing it. And I was like looking to see if it was labeled as like, 
sorcerer colon says this and it wasn't so you know until uh until we we see the equivalent of you know a certain uh puppy clad someone being lowered into a grave i'm still going to hold on to this theory <laughs> yeah they had to definitely turn they should have turned down the reverb in that section as well i know they wanted to have him kind of seem yeah. like the great and powerful oz a quick question about that scene too because otherwise that scene was kind of running the mill i think the apprentice was just sort of recapping to the sorcerer what he had done to the author which we had seen a few episodes ago the chamber where the sorcerer was in is that because I remember we had seen that chamber before as well, but wasn't that also the place where the dark one's dagger was? I think I'm pretty sure there was a flashback scene yeah. way back in the beginning of season four where they like went down there and that's where the dark one resided. Yeah, there was a there was a scene uh, in this chamber in the in the past, at least a chamber, that, a subterranean chamber that looked a lot like this. And so I think I, I believe we have been here before. Yeah, I, I'm. I have to look up the name of the because I'm pretty sure it was like the old dark one uh, and they showed like the 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 old dark with the new dark one uh, kind of ascending to the throne of power almost. And uh, yeah, is it nice? Nice use of recurring scenery there. I think we still need more information about uh, about that whole mythology in general i think well, i feel like we're getting very much into the jacob man in black mythology of like we're finding out pieces of it but it's still very ubiquitous and very much like oh these guys are all powerful this is what they do they work against each other so yeah. I, I think it's gonna be a slow reveal but i'm happy we got at least glimpses of this in this episode and parts of it seemed a little bit okay like it's assuming that this is indeed the person that the sorcerer's apprentice reports to there were a little bit of a kind of um pay no attention to the man behind the curtain wizard of Oz behind the scenery sort of feel here for me. I'm only cause I'm wondering if again, down the road, either in the next couple episodes or perhaps season five, uh, if we're going to see some sort of reveal that there is, you know, the person who was actually speaking through the ball of light was so-and-so. And I don't think it'd be a character that we already know. It'll be a, it may be a familiar character from, uh, you know, fantasy story tales or mythology or something. So I'm curious if we're going to, if there's a, a deeper story behind the, 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 the swirling lights. And I will say one more thing about this scene is that this is the first time, obviously this is the first scene in the episode that they mention the idea of fate. And I feel like this episode more than like any episode in a while. And once upon a time it talks specifically about fate. I know the idea has kind of been circulated around this arc specifically with the talk of like happy endings. So Kurt, how did you feel about this whole episode basically being focused around the theme of fate and specifically dealing with like the dual twin fates of Lily and Emma. You know, it, it all kind of began to mash together. they mentioned fate a lot and I'm still, I didn't really come out of it understanding what is once upon a time's perspective on fate. It's like, is it, is it something that you can deal with? Is it something you can't deal with? Is it, I mean, it's like, is the best case scenario that you can't escape it, but if you know what it is, you can better manage it. it, it maybe that's kind of how it ended up, but it, it seems to kind of go in, in several directions in terms of, you know, what their ultimate perspective on on fate is in, in this universe. So yeah. I'm I'm looking forward to kind of uh, maybe as we go through the notes, we'll. Because I know I, t I took notes on it in various places. Maybe we'll kind of puzzle it out. Yeah, I, I would say just a base, base statement here. I think that the way the show deals with fate is that they say fate is fate, but to change your fate, you need to make a great sacrifice, which I think 
unless it's the phrase magic always comes with a price because you have these people like Regina who wanted to kind of make her own happy ending or, or change her fate or get vengeance on Snow White by getting these magical powers and creating these spells and creating Storybrooke. But as a result, she's faced these heavy costs. And I think that's what she was trying to put into Emma's head this episode as well in terms of like you can't challenge this fate has happened but the more you try to pursue vengeance and the more you try to challenge the fates the more you're going to lose around you uh but that being said i feel like the fate the fate uh the uh the fate themes this episode a little heavy-handed in my opinion (laughs) this Uh, is if this had been a fate drinking game every time it was mentioned uh i would not be able to podcast right now that'd be a very different podcast if that was if we played this game Yes, and so, and uh, I, I don't know if I have that much uh, alcohol in my house currently. So let's jump to 1999 here. Kurt, were you excited to see the return of Teenage M- Emma and Teenage Lily? Did you feel, in general, and obviously we'll dive into more detail here, did you feel that it was necessary to have this flashback, to have them go back to this time period again? Um, I think it was necessary to set up the idea that Lily... Uh, has a track record of destroying Emma's happy family moments. Um, I I think we kind of needed that to understand and to see the fire in Emma as she is, you know, chasing down Lily as Lily kind of heads for Storybrooke in present day. So I did think there was a need for there to be more of a relationship and more of a negative relationship between the two of them than we already saw in the first half of the season. Um, so I, I did think there was something there. I wasn't excited to see it. I think this was going this. this I was a little leery and hoping that we weren't going to spend a lot of time in the past. And I think we spent actually, I think, just the right amount of time. I didn't think it was too much, um, but I think it was I think it was just enough. I, I what, about, what about you? I thought it was a little too much, specifically okay. when when the last scene with Emma and Lily on the bench and Emma saying like basically repeating what she ended her last flashback episode with, which was telling Lily like you you need to stop pretending that you don't have a family because that's that is really really offensive to me and just kind of stay out of my life. I feel like it it's it's tough when you have these storylines where we going into this we knew that Emma wanted Lily out of her life and we see it go completely full circle over the course of 40 minutes. It's tough for me to say like, "Oh yeah, well that was definitely worth it." That being said, yeah. I do I do agree with you that I think there were some seeds planted that definitely grew in the in the present day storyline. I just don't know how I feel when at the end of the day after looking at it all you say, "Oh, well, we kind of already knew this was the way that Emma felt. We just saw more examples of it." Yeah, it's Especially, I think in a, in a, and it probably seemed even a little bit more egregious in this episode, where there, we had to take kind of more storylines going on in this episode than in a typical episode. Yeah. So, um, it it perhaps maybe uh, what you're what you're feeling is it, it was kind of dominated, like what was already going to have to be a a small percent of the storyline if we want to get everybody's story in. Yeah, exactly. And speaking on that, I mean, I know we'll get to it. I, I know I've remarked that in the past few episodes, it seems like there really hasn't been an A plot and a B plot like usual episodes of Once Upon a Time. That being said, we definitely had an A plot, but I feel like we had a B plot. We had a C plot. We, yeah. you, you can count the sorcerers. The one, this one scene in the beginning is like a D plot. The Robin stuff might be a plot as well. Like they just kind of started bringing all the, the ingredients into the stew right now. And now they're stirring the pot. It's almost as if they're ramping up to something big, like at the end of a season. Oh yes. Yeah, so only imagine. 
Yeah. And I think, and, and you know, again, if history uh, repeats itself, we'll probably actually, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to slash expecting there to be some major things wrapped up at the end of next week and the two hour finale, maybe dealing with a few kind of kernels of things that were left over, but really probably getting into a lot of new stuff uh, uh, as we kind of end the season yeah. for that final episode. If I'll make uh, base assumptions, I'll say that I think the last two hours are going to be centric specifically on the author because he really hasn't, for being this big MacGuffin, he really hasn't done anything. And so I think, you know, Gold is off doing his own stuff this episode, but I think the two-hour episode is when he's really going to say, okay, let's use the author. And I, I think all this Robin stuff, all this Lily stuff, uh, you know, maybe stuff with the Charmings will all be kind of wrapped up in some way, shape, or form next mm-hmm. week. But then let's not bury the lead too much. Let's stay here yeah. in Minnesota. So Emma is in a foster house, super white bread foster house. They have a, a chore wheel. They have, you know, KFC, they have KFC for dinner because they're going on. It's, a, mis- it's Mr. Clucks. Oh, Mr. Clucks. Oh, yeah, because that's uh, that's they had a cluckety cluck cluck day. Yep. <laughs> so did you get this reference card, by the way, that it's this house was like Norman Rockwell grew up in this place? Um, I'm not, I'm not an, I'm not an art connoisseur, so I didn't know about the, the childhood stylings of Norman Rockwell. Norman Rockwell is that you kind of think of like the old magazines of the, um, the Saturday evening post and kind of the, the, the cover art there where it always shows kind of the, uh, stereotypical idealized life in, uh, in mid, in, in Midwest slash kind of Northeastern America. He kind of Norman Rockwell had all of the kind of the, the classical trappings of uh, classical family life okay. uh, from, from the, from like the, the middle early to middle part of the 20th century. So it was just kind of just a reference to um, the, the, the perfect family setting. And, and it looked like it just, that perfect family setting looks like it just exploded all over this household. <laughs> so Lily knows her art history then. Apparently that's that's she's uh, everything else is horrible to her. So at least she at least she got the art history part of the of the fates. I went out if she's an art thief, too. Maybe that's just she just got that's it. From true. That. How do you know about Norocco? <laughs> well, I have this painting that I stole in my boyfriend's house. Yeah. So Emma finds Lily hiding out in the garage. And Lily basically is is that friend that's like, I, need, I just need help. I need to help until I get up on my feet. And Emma is very reluctant to take her in. But her hand is sort of forced here when her foster father comes in and she has to introduce her. And so she has Lily over. Uh, we have some chatter here. And Lily lies about how Emma and her know each other. And it's clear at this point that we'll see a, a theme for the next few scenes in this flashback, which is that Emma is trying to says she says she has a good thing going and basically admonishes Lily for kind of effing it up for her. <laughs> Pretty much. It's, uh, I'm, well, first of all, it, it seems like Lily, you know, Lily is lying almost to some extent to protect Emma. Like she doesn't want to drop the bomb that, Oh, we know each other because I met you while, you know, I was helping you steal pop tarts and, you know, we both actually have this, this, uh, you know, kind of juvenile uh you know track record behind us i'm surprised that none of that was at least some of emma's runs-ins with the law i'm surprised that was never revealed uh to the current foster parents yeah but, wouldn't that be on her wouldn't she have like some sort of record that from the group home that would that would show yeah i you would think so i'm i get i'm not an expert in the you know in social work but you know, as we see later, they easily find it just by asking. Yeah. Uh, or it, it seems like 
Yeah. So it, it seems like that's something that would have potentially come up. Either it was sealed and should never have been revealed or it should have been revealed right from the beginning. That's a, but, a, a pretty uh, shoddy group home service, by the way, to be like, oh, yeah. Oh, you're specifically asking us if the child you brought in uh, was had, you know, criminal past. Oh, yeah. Well, well, well now you're mentioning it. Uh, she did steal some stuff and she's been uh, on the run since. Yeah. At the very least, I, you think that I don't know how long Emma's been here, but it seems like, you know, as you kind of grow I can I can see a moment potentially have being played out where where Emma is you know confiding and having a deep talk with her foster mom and says you know I this is something I've never I feel that you should know but you know I did used to steal and I've I've turned myself around. I mean I can see some of that potentially having come out but apparently it didn't <laughs> yeah exactly and there's a nice nice little twist here at the end of the first scene where Emma and Lily are kind of off whispering in the corner where the TV happens to be on and they show footage of. an armed robbery at i don't know if it was a convenience store or anything but it turns out that one of the robbers is lily so it turns out that as much as lily's talking about how you know she's she needs to get back on her feet and she's okay the lily is has officially broken bad yeah yeah and I, i did find it was kind of funny that it took place at a uh a Tom Thumb convenience store. Oh, was that uh, it? Yeah, and Tom Thumb being kind of a character from uh, fairy tales as well. So that was a nice little, maybe I don't know if it was intentional or not, but a nice little potential Easter egg there. Yeah. So as uh, Lily is there to displace the blame onto her boyfriend, who we never meet, so I have no idea if this boyfriend actually exists since Lily is kind of a pathological liar at this point. But Lily convinces Emma to go to where her her boyfriend's house and steal a necklace that was given to her by her birth mother. And then after that, Emma can give her as much money as she needs to, to just, you know, piss off and never see her again. So yeah, yeah when this first happened, Kurt, were, were you suspecting uh, foul play here? I actually wasn't. I was oh. kind of going along with, I did seem to find it a little odd that for instance, um, you know, you know, Billy says she doesn't. The last person she wants to see right now is her boyfriend. And so I was like, OK, uh, I thought that maybe L- Lily and Emma would have gone there together. But when it turns out Emma was doing it herself, I was like, oh, OK, maybe that that's a little odd. But I didn't think that Lily was up to anything. I um, until you mentioned it just now, I never suspected that there wasn't a boyfriend. I mean, the fact that there were two armed robbers makes me suspect that there there potentially was. And actually, because I was wondering if we were actually going to see the boyfriend or if that was going to be a potential character. Uh, but whether or not the, there was was an actual boyfriend, there was an actual necklace. And, yeah. and, 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 and we do find out, you know, this is legitimately legitimately the necklace uh that her birth mother gave her and probably is really important to lily so there were i think there was enough truth in what uh lily was saying to i think you know to make it real enough for emma yeah i would say the one thing that kind of ticked me off not necessarily that it was emma was going to be deceived by lily and lily was going to rob the foster home but i thought it was going to be Lily had set up a trap for Emma where like Emma was going to go there and like, I don't know, her boyfriend would like leap out and kidnap her or something. You know, I thought the, I thought it was something she would <laughs> she would do with her boyfriend. But Emma also got very lucky that her boyfriend was out. I don't know. The boyfriend sort of reminded me of like Vic from Orphan Black. <laughs> it's, it, it, this was a little uh it kind of became a little bit like Chekhov's boyfriend, except we never end up actually seeing him. <laughs> che- Chekhov's boyfriend, a little known Chekhov play. <laughs> yes. Uh, so Emma sneaks into the house. Uh, by the way, the boyfriend's house looks like a crack den, right? Like it's super like you talking about messy houses, but this has like graffiti on the walls and like 
Well, I think they had described it at some point as they're kind of like squatting or hiding out in a house. I didn't think it was her boyfriend's house as much as it was kind of a, a house that they were holing up in uh, together to kind of escape the law. Yeah, it just looked, I mean, even for like an abandoned house, it just looked like a, looked like a wreck, but like an artistic wreck. Like, oh, I'll put the paisley on the couch and I'm going to put the stripes on the walls. Uh, so I don't know. I don't know what crack dens usually look like, but that's what I assume they look like. So she finds the necklace, which has a crescent moon on it. So Lily currently has what, like two of the eight symbols of Lucky Charms in her possession. I thought, and you know, it, to me, it definitely looked like the tooth. I think we kind of later get a hint that it is a tooth because I think you know this whole time Lily uh, thinks it's been a stone, but to me, it looked a little bit, a little bit fang-like. And, and I don't know if. Uh, I guess, oh, I didn't even <laughs> notice that. I thought it was just a crescent moon. I know. I think it, uh, if, if this is Lucky Charms, this would be Yellow Tooth, which is not exactly appetizing. No, that was a, a recalled brand of Lucky Charms marshmallow. Exactly. <laughs> A tooth, a tooth, potentially, potentially a talon, but uh, it, it seemed claw-like or, or so something that was meant to puncture in the process of taking somebody's life. Is it's kind of how I looked at it. Mm-hmm. So Emma comes back to her foster house. She she sneaks in only to find her parents waiting up for her. We initially think this is the TGIF stereotypical moment of saying like Emma why did you disobey us and sneak out but no it turns out that Lily while Emma was gone snuck into the parents uh like den and stole all of their vacation money and ran away yeah this this I was like oh Lily yeah it's it's kind (laughs) of tough to like Lily this episode I'll be honest specifically like even though she has this whole kind of woe is me I've been doomed to a bad fate since the start type of mentality it's still tough to see her do things like this <laughs> and i think and from that point on the moment that she reveals that or the parents reveal that you know that the vacate that they're that the least stole their vacation money um oh i don't know how did they i don't know if, how they knew it was necessarily lily unless they saw her um yeah it could have been one of those bratty sons for all they know yeah it's uh it, it see and, and you know it wouldn't put it past Lily to make sure that it, they knew that it was her, um, given how things kind of turn out, and we see what we hear at Lily's motivations. Uh, but um, it at, at the moment that it's revealed that the vacation money was stolen, I mean Emma comes completely clean, like no, I would oh I went to get her necklace, and you know I you know yeah I knew that she had that she had you know robbed that robbed that uh, grocery store, although she doesn't clarify to them. I, that she didn't know that she robbed the grocery store until after she'd already had her Mr. Cluck's chicken. It sounded like the parents thought that that uh, Lily showed up and Emma knew that she was a wanted criminal, but allowed her to stay for dinner anyway. Yeah, I was going to say it's, it's kind of the dad's fault because the dad did co- like interrupt them before Emma. Emma wasn't even going to say, why don't you stay? And d- the dad was like, oh, here's your friend. Why don't you come in and uh, come into my house? So really you could have to put part of the That's blame true. on the dad here. <laughs> I didn't even want her to stay, dad. You invited her and made it awkward for me to say no. Yeah. And, and we talk about I don't know if this is fake, but there's such a deluge of bad information here in terms of like, oh, well, yeah. Lily stole the money. By the way, we called your social worker and i know you guys lied about uh finding each other in the group home by the way we also found out that lily is a wanted suspect i don't know i don't know what the timeline was of them making these calls but they must have been like on the phone all night making trying to double check sources (laughs) yeah that social worker is like why are you calling me this late i mean this is like 99 and i'm trying you know there was definitely an internet but it wasn't quite you know i don't think google is around at that point yeah so as angry as the parents are, they kind of blow it a little bit here when the dad refers to how, you know, I brought you into this house with our children and 
that slip of the tongue is enough to send Emma over the edge as she takes off and she's going to head. I don't even know where she's going. I don't think she has another home <laughs> set up, but she's probably taking a bus somewhere. Of course, Lily being that friend sneaks in and is like, Hey buddy, what's going on? Here's some money. Let's run away. We do what we want. But Emma is officially done with her. And this is where Lily kind of goes into this whole diatribe about how, you know, I try to do good things, but it all blows up in my face. And, uh, you know, I, things are brighter. I, it's all darkness, but things are brighter when you're around. But Emma is not having it. No, I'm done helping you. I'm better off. You know, I'm, I'm you know, you're, you're, we're both better off alone, I think, is kind of what Emma's perspective is. And, and she's just like, get out, get out of my life. Stay the hell away from me. Yeah. And I mean, I, I can't necessarily disagree with young Emma at this point. I mean, considering the two examples we've seen where the first one was that Lily deceived her and says she was her friend and basically dangles this idea of having parents in front of her, which is something Emma always wanted and throws it away. And then in the second instance where Emma uh, begrudgingly brings her back into her trust again, only to steal the only vacation money that Emma would ever have. It's just like, I, I don't even give you strikes, Lily. You're already out, in my opinion. Yeah. Although, you know, it's you know, camping, not all it's cracked up to be. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've never been camping either, so I, I'll take I, your word for it. Yeah. Growing up in Michigan, it's definitely one of those things where um, I'm good at it, but seldom enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> so Lily hops on a bus to Pittsburgh, assumingly. I don't know. We don't know where Emma goes. Uh, probably, I guess maybe... Does she end up going to Lowell, Massachusetts at that point? I'm not sure what the timeline is, but Lily's on a bus to Pittsburgh and just like any random bus ride you take, you'll have, uh, you'll have older crazy people talking to you, but this older crazy person actually has good information for her because it is the sorcerer's apprentice. Yeah. And I think, you know, throughout this episode, well, I think we'll, we'll get to it when we talk about the other kind of the, the main storyline in present day, you know, throughout this, we, we, through there, we learned that, you know, Lily is not completely naive about Storybrooke and what's going on there. And throughout the, the episode, I've been wondering, okay, so who was, the big question for me was who told Lily about everything Storybrooke related? Yeah. And we get the reveal here. It was the Sorcerer's Apprentice, and I was not expecting the Sorcerer's Apprentice. Yeah, I, I wasn't either, or at least I wasn't expecting him to come right out and say, like, I'm going to tell you everything. You know, yeah. I, would, I would think it'd be, it would be a much more, like, veiled thing of the Apprentice watching her from afar for a while and then revealing the information gradually, because we're not going to see the scene where the, where the Apprentice tells her, like, look, you are the daughter of one of the most powerful sorceresses in this enchanted realm, and you were sent here because Snow, Snow White and Prince Charming made a deal to prevent their shot from going dark. You know, we saw Emma deal with that enough in season one. They even lampshaded that this episode. But it, he seemed to start throwing everything out on the table, which is, I'd, I'd say, gauge the waters a little bit first, Apprentice. Remember, you're not in your uh, your home realm. People will not react the same way as they would in the enchanted forest. But I think here, I mean, yeah, she's kind of a little bit of a captive audience. I mean, she doesn't really have anywhere to go, but I think it's also the sort of thing where if you, it, it's not a pre-existing relationship, it's going to be hard to kind of continue to feed this information to her over time without being a stalker and potentially getting a restraining order thrown against you. At least, you know, Emma was kind of stuck in Storybrooke and Henry would, and things were kind of released to her over the course of the entire first season. I, th I think this was kind of a, you know what, we have to shock and awe you with this information. Uh, so I'm going to do so. And I think that's what the sorcerer's apprentice. I think I think that's what his uh, his his modus operandi was here too. Yeah. Uh, basically, you know, you're not going anywhere. I'm going to dump everything on you. And uh, I mean, he he knew enough about her 
to be, I think to at least get her interested, like he knew that her name was Lily. He, you know, and then he, uh, knew that the necklace was from her mother. Um, but you know, he reveals to her that, you know, it isn't a stone like you thought it was, but it did belong to your mother. I think that's why I thought it was some sort of like fang no, that or makes tooth sense. or claw. Um, so, uh, yeah, I was expecting it to be like the other half of a rattle or something, but, uh, um, but yeah, it's, it's, but you know, I don't know if we're going to get any more of the relationship between Lily and the Sorcerer's Apprentice or if we're supposed to kind of fill in the gaps and yada, yada, yada it so that, and fast forward, you know, 15 years and she knows everything. Yeah, so, but how it worked. My question though, is what was the apprentice's end goal with Lily? Did he want Lily to go to Storybrooke and, get her revenge or did he just want to provide her with information because i mean the the apprentice when we first and sort of last saw him was in storybrooke and he he had that scroll that they even used in this episode where if you read it you're in storybrooke so i was wondering like if he really had that plan all along why didn't he just like i don't know i I forget which way i don't forget whether ingrid had the scroll or not when she entered storybrooke but like if she if he has it why don't you just like give it to Lily, mail it to FedEx it to Lily. And so Lily and say, Hey Lily, here's where Storybrooke is. Come here and do what you want to. Or do you think he was just more like FYI, here's what's happening. Bye. Well, I think if he did, then at the time, it, you know, it isn't until now that her, that her mom is in Storybrooke. So I think that she would have just gone to Storybrooke and would have been a little bit lost. And so I think his end game was more to give her a fighting chance. And I think we see from the opening scene, he's really upset at the author for having manipulated things. So by, you know, you know, pushing Emma's dark side into Maleficent's child. And he's like asking the sorcerer. That sounds naughty. Yeah, <laughs> he's he's asking the sorcerer or whoever it is in the ball of light. You know, there has to be a way to undo this. And I think you know, forearmed is forewarned, or forewarned is forearmed. In this case, uh, yeah, forewarned is forearmed. And so he's he's going to uh, basically think if he wants to find a way to undo it, the first step is to get her to understand why everything is happening the way that it is. So I think first step is knowledge, but I don't think that sending her to Storybrooke right at that point would have really helped matters anyway um yeah yeah i I wonder do you i also wonder why the apprentice decided to stay in our world as well you know why didn't why or like did he did he go does he is he able to freely go between realms did he just after talking with the apprentice did he you know I, i guess i guess he ends up visiting them what like 17 years later or something at this point but can he very easily hop in there, give Lily information, go back to the Enchanted Forest, then he somehow winds up in Storybrooke? I think we need a timeline for The Apprentice as well. Well, I think at this point, you know, because, you know, Emma was put into the cabinet right as the Dark Curse was cast. So at this point, there is no Enchanted Forest. There's nothing but... Oh, uh, you're right. That's There's true. nothing but Storybrooke. And we do know that the Sorcerer was banished to Storybrooke along with everybody else. So, you know, I think... You know, they, I think at this point he basically found a way to leave Storybrooke and to track down Lilith and to give her the information she needed. Um, and that's why, and he but, can't use magic, so he had to take the bus. Yeah, although he, you know, it does raise the question of, you know, to what extent, how how was it that he remembered things, uh, but nobody else did in Storybrooke? I mean, at this point, if Storybrooke had just been put in the dark curse, the only person who knows what's really going on in the world is uh, Regina. So. Yeah, not that. That's like you know, if, if if he followed the same rules as everybody else, he would have also been transported to Storybrooke and would not have remembered his former life. So something may have happened to him, or he may have had some sort of 
uh, sorcerer exemption. Yeah, well, and we also yeah, that's true. Um, maybe it was sort of like a gold proviso where I forget. I think gold was able to remember some things by like signing a certain part of the contract that Regina, or he put a deal in the contract that he signed with Regina to make that curse. So maybe the sorcerer was able to do something similar where like yeah. he remembered vague details or he was being like, or with gold's case, he was being purposely vague about things to not necessarily yeah. show his hand, but hopefully he could have come through, he could have gone through the same portal that, uh, that Elsa did, uh, to get if he saw the dark curse coming, he could have potentially, you know, just transported himself to our world. Yeah, he would have he would have been in the background when Ingrid was walking through Boston. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, Ingrid, not Elsa. Yes. So let's let's jump here into the present day as Emma is still visibly PO'd about what happened with Cruella. And I think the news has kind of spread to her that Gold was using that as a using that information as leverage to get emma to do that since the plan has kind of been known to, to them at the moment to turn to the dark side and she kind of you know tells tells the heroes that you know i'm feeling regret but it's clear that she's going to pers- try to pursue a path of vengeance here the surprising turn in this scene is from maleficent who it turns out is now just against gold and i mean her her logic is sound you know she talks about how cruella's death showed that gold was only in it for himself and that he really wasn't working to get all of their happy endings but still i thought this would be a bigger moment considering that she was billed as this like queens of darkness we started out with three queens of darkness and now after you know eight or so episodes we now have zero technically yeah i think well i think she's she feels a little bit more like um, I guess like a, a slightly more evil Regina. So I think she, I think she's still a queen of darkness, but she just isn't, uh, you well, she's know, not, she's loaded, not, she's loaded not the, for bear as it were. She's yeah, not, she, she's not a weapon of gold anymore. She's not, yeah. She's not the big bad that was publicized before Correct. this half season. Yeah. Yeah. She, she's just a bad person, uh, who, uh, has discovered that her daughter is still alive. Yes. And which, that, which, which makes her a more, you know, uh, a relatable character. Yeah, which she just also decides to drop that information right in the middle of Granny's, and Emma is stunned. So, well, also the fact that, like, theoretically, I think in outside of a scripted a setting, if Melissa said, "Oh yeah, I have a daughter that was raised in Minnesota, and her name is Lily," there could be like a hundred lilies that existed in Minnesota at that time. But I was like, no, it must be this one lily that I conveniently met to the mimeograph machine. I'm, you know, I, I actually buy that. I, I completely buy it. Just given how many coincidences are, are in this world. I know you kind of, kind of caveat that, but I think in terms of like, um, yeah, it, it's a, it's a, it's a pretty distinct name. And so and she, she's like, I knew a Lilith given just how things have happened in my life these past four seasons. I'm pretty sure that this is who it was. And she kind of verifies it. Did you, did you enjoy, this is the first time we've seen a mimeograph machine on once upon a time, right? Nobody else has been looking up old newspaper articles. Microfiche. Yeah. Microfiche. Yes. Yeah. It's, uh, I'm surprised that she didn't, I mean, we, we do have internet, uh, in this day and age. Remember that, that. remember that it's a very vague sense of technology. Remember some people have flip phones. Some people have iPhones. That's true. And the, the computers in the, in the, yeah, I'm wondering if she was in the uh, in, in the the Daily Mirror uh, in their offices, or was she in the police office, the police station? Yeah, I think it was the police <laughs> station. I'm not sure. At least I, I could try to tell from the from the background. Also, very interesting, and I don't I don't want to pick apart this episode too much, but it's interesting to notice that like 
I, I don't, I don't, honestly, I don't read newspapers too often. I don't know how many newspapers have like articles about babies being born that include pictures of them. Isn't it just usually like an announcement? Um, <laughs> I, I know it's it definitely in smaller towns. I think that uh, they do have uh, pictures of newborns. That's, that's, that's definitely okay. a thing. I know where, where, where I grew up, it, uh, you did, you did have pictures. Um, they just so happened that there was a picture with the, with the star birthmark that, that Emma knew that's, that's a little bit more, I think of a, of a convenience, um, and coincidence. Yeah. But, Mer- uh, actually, you know what? Maybe the article would have been prevalent if the title was like baby hatches out of egg. That's true. <laughs> she was looking at old, old, uh, microfiche scans of the weekly world news. Yeah, exactly. Like, Oh, here's what's bat boy up to recently. <laughs> exactly. And then, you know, Regina kind of, you know, shows up and, and I think this is where, I like her her line. Uh, uh, you know, this is where we I think get some of the first you know language around fate, and you know Regina says you know our actions are our own, but fate does push us, and maybe it's time to push back. And I think maybe if anything that encapsulates the the series's perspective on fate. It's you know fate is a pushing you in a particular direction. You still have the freedom to make the actions that you will, and sometimes those actions can be pushing against fate, and it's work. And it doesn't always work and it is is tough, but it's not something that you can potentially push back against. Yeah, I really, really enjoyed the Emma Regina pairing. I yeah, I, I really enjoyed the, the pairing in general. We got glimpses of it last story arc where uh, or even I think it was end of season three when Regina was trying to teach Emma how to use her magic. But I, I enjoyed it specifically in this episode because it's kind of like Regina telling Emma, like, use me as a cautionary tale. Don't go down this path because once you do, it's going to be a much tougher climb to get back to where you were before. And I also love kind of contrasting that with the way the episode ends where Regina, like, you know, Emma tears into Lily and Regina admonishes her for it. But then jump cut to the end here where Regina is tearing into Mary <laughs> with almost the same ferocity. It's a lot of fun to watch. Yeah. It's like, forget, do as I say, not as I do. Yeah, basically. <laughs> so as you talked about, Regina comes and kind of proposes a, uh, a deal with her, uh, not a Rumpelstiltskin S deal, but basically saying, hey, you know, I'm going to New York City to, to solve all to solve all this muck up all this Robin Hood stuff. Uh, you want to just you want to road trip it? You want to come with me <laughs> and help out? And Emma says, sure. Yeah, yeah I like it. It's like what it, initially she's like, well, I don't need your help. And I like how Regina says, but maybe I need yours. Did you ever think of that? <laughs> I mean, she didn't add the, did you ever think of that part? But I like how Regina does, whether or not she's legitimately thinking it, she does kind of play the, uh, the vulnerable card here and saying, you know what? I could actually use your help. So it's, uh, so let, let's, let's do this together. Yeah. And some, some more glimpses here of like, I, again, I really enjoy when the show, likes to kind of stay true to its canon and remind us like, Hey, remember when hook was a villain as he, the Emma says her goodbyes here and it, hook kind of reminds her like, Hey, remember I used to be a villain. And he kind of, he kind of echoes Regina's philosophy here of mm-hmm. like, just stay on the good path. You know, if, if you break bad, if you go down to that, if you go down that dark path, it's going to take a lot to get back to where you were before. And I also love, I'm, I'm really enjoying these really awkward interactions between Emma and her parents now. We're like, I was, Emma's I was like, waiting Bye, to see, like I was just on the edge of my seat saying, does she, does she still have this irrational hatred of her parents? How is she going to say goodbye to her parents? And I was just like waiting for that. Like, yeah, she's going to say goodbye to Hook and she's going to say goodbye to Henry. But I want to see the parental interaction just so I can yell at her. Yep. And, and it, it was, it was just her saying, okay, bye. <laughs> yeah, okay. Thanks. Bye. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> 
So the, they start their road trip, and it takes them to Lowell, Massachusetts, which is, or Lowell, if you're from New England, I guess, where, which is apparently only about 10 minutes from where Emma grew up. So that's probably the first hint drop that Lily has been a, kind of a, kind of been a, a weird obsessive sketchball since the two last saw each other. And speaking of sketchball, we have more really sketchy decor here as uh, this apartment building that Lily used to live in and her neighbor who happens to know a lot about Lily's life. Yeah, it's, and it's just, actually, I did, I took it. Did you take that then as, um, Lily was following Emma around? I, I think you said it was kind of sketchy. I yeah. Did, I, 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 I took it as that before, because this was before we found, we, we got the whole, all the speeches about like the twin fates and they must always be near each other and they're correlated. I just took it as like, clearly there's bad blood between the two, but Lily still wanted to either wanted to follow her for malicious reasons or wanted to make up. But I, 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 I took it as they just so happened. Like I took it more as the fate direction in terms of, you know, they ran into each other in Minnesota and lo and behold, they were actually in Lowell, like pretty darn near each other. Um, and I didn't take it at all as Lily following Emma. It was just that it was kind of fate kept bringing them into each other's paths. In this case, they didn't really even know it because um, but, you know, it could be it could be that it's just something I haven't considered. Yeah. I mean, it, it, considering the timeline, it could very well be that once. This, the apprentice told Lily everything. We also need to think about at what point in time in Lily's timeline does she sort of become obsessive and make, I'm yeah. sure we'll talk about the cork board in a bit, but like where she starts really becoming obsessive about like where Storybrooke, who are the major people involved? Because if it did happen after the apprentice talked to her, I think it, it does go with the timeline where just like she found out she was in Minnesota, she could very easily find out that she's in Massachusetts and decides to, to make up camp there. Cause I could have seen it definitely even like assuming that um, the story, the, uh, the apprentice tells everything to Lily on that bus. I could see Lily having already been in the vicinity of Boston prior to Emma even getting there. Like if she's if she's trying to track down, you know, spoiler alert, Emma's parents, she might have even gotten closer to Boston uh, before before Emma did. So I, I'm yeah. really interested in that timeline. Yeah, well, hopefully we'll find it out. I, I don't know. Again, we have yeah. technically three episodes left, and I don't know how much Lily we're going to get in those episodes, unfortunately. But hopefully she doesn't die and we'll find out some more about her character in season yeah. five. What did you think of this? This neighbor? He he uh, is he the boy? A, maybe he's the boyfriend. Yeah, maybe not at all subtle. It's like she died in a car crash. No one would miss her. She was a weird one. She's a loser. Were you getting kind of like Will Shireen vibes from from that interaction? <laughs> uh, well, I have to check my Twitter feed to see how much it blew up from that. Uh, yeah, exactly. yeah, I he's uh, he's in, he's interesting. And I, I mean, I love these devices. I, I enjoy expository neighbor almost as, as I enjoy expository <laughs> cop or expository judge of being like. Yeah, well, Lily, well, she died. She died in a car accident two years ago. She used to be a loner, you know, really kept to herself, didn't really talk to anybody. It's like, wow, you are a handy source of information for someone who really didn't like her. But the point where like these people are looking for her, obviously, for a reason. And I don't think you just drop on these people looking for her. The fact that nobody would have missed her anyway, especially since she's <laughs> dead. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I think a little bit of more tact there. Expertise, exp, exp, uh, explanatory neighbor. <laughs> yes, expository neighbor. Do you think that uh, I, I go with explanatory? I can't uh, pronounce the other word. <laughs> do you, so do you think it was well deserved that Emma was about to knock him out cold? Uh, No. <laughs> that, she has like, like she, she has super strength too in those moments. 
That yeah, that that's like um, you know, TV slow show slash movie rationale for behavior. That's that's not how how people. Uh, that's not how adults behave in real life. Yeah, and and <laughs> Regina's there to talk to her about it. And it's interesting because Emma in this episode kind of does, and she kind of has been for the past episode, kind of behaving a little bit like an adolescent uh, in terms of her moodiness, obviously her hatred of her parents, uh, and her ability to lash out at like anyone that's like trying to help her or says something wrong to her. Yeah, I mean, we got it a little bit in the last episode, even when you know Regina says, "Stop acting like a ten-year-old." Yeah. Basically, though, I mean, Regina has a lot of experience with with 10 year olds. So that means maybe that means Regina will now create another curse uh, because Emma said something wrong to her. Yeah. 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 If I was if I was behaving like a 10 year old, then you would hate me for the rest of my life. Yeah. Like you did your other 10 year old. (laughs) You have a good track record with 10 year olds at this point. So, yeah, Regina kind of admonishes Emma here in the car for lashing out at her. But Emma is starting to kind of really start to feel the burden of of trying to take the the weight of the world upon her shoulders here i think what what we kind of haven't glanced upon when talking about once emma found out about everything with uh what her parents did is that she is now feeling personally responsible for everything that's happened to lily and i mean as much as we kind of make fun of this storyline and the way emma's behaving that is a pretty weighty guilt to feel that like someone's life has been down the crap hole because of something somebody did for you. Yeah, maybe it's because I've never been in that situation. I'm having a hard time finding it uh, to be reasonable. I mean, if anything, it's a, your parents should be feeling guilty about it. Um, and, you know, I guess I guess you look at it from the perspective of, you know, I'm very fortunate in my life, but it's directly because somebody's else, somebody else's life was made worse. I guess I could, you know, looking from that, putting it in that light, I guess I can see it a bit more. Yeah. So, 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 so it is a little bit more, if I put it like that, then yeah, I can kind of see where she's coming from. Yeah. It's like a more, uh, banal version of that movie, like the button, I think it was where somebody, yeah. somebody gave you a button. And if you pressed it, you got like a million, you got like a billion dollars, but someone died. It's sort of like, well, how much, how much pleasure can you take when you know it's at the sacrifice of someone's pain? Yeah, but again, but even even in that instance, you're taking a direct action, whereas Emma took has taken no direct action. It's something her parents did. Yeah. So it's I don't know. It's it's but you frame it up. You know, I'm fortunate because someone is, uh, but because of that, somebody else is less fortunate. You know, just framing it in that simple manner. I guess I can see it, but you know, let it go. To quote the first. Oh, that was say that's the first half of the season, Kurt. Uh, there's this is. Sorry. You have to quote Cruella Deville Sorry. now. You poor unfortunate soul. There we Sorry. go. So sad, but true. Uh, so we see a nice little uh, flashback here to season one here, Kurt, and I'm glad they brought it up because I honestly would not have got it at all, and now I don't feel yeah. silly uh, that the she points out that the wolf. Uh, came to them the first time that she tried to leave Storybrooke, but that wasn't Ruby, right? It was just a wolf <laughs> that showed up. You know what? I'm going to pretend it was Ruby because it would explain what has potentially happened to Ruby. <laughs> she just turned <laughs> into a wolf. Granny. Yeah. And, you know, maybe, and she's, you know, she's working. Maybe she works on the off shifts at that diner. We know Ruby has diner experience. So maybe it is Ruby. Yeah, well, I, I totally and this is my, my total like crackpot theory. I totally thought when I saw the wolf at first, I'm like, oh, my God, Lily's a werewolf. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I thought maybe at some point it was Lily, but I didn't connect Lily equals wolf with werewolf, which should have been the 
that that would be the shortest path between those two points. So I don't know why I didn't think that. Maybe maybe I did think yeah. Maybe Lily's a shifter. There we go. <laughs> She's gonna hang out with Sam Merlot. Speaking of yes. diners, uh, yeah, they they get a they end up getting a flat tire going along with this idea of fate, and so they're fated to go to the coffee mug diner where they're served by a woman with Lily's birthmark named starla now first off i have to say kurt when expository neighbor said that lily's dead did you act i know you you didn't pursue promotional materials before this episode did you actually think she was dead no well because i i didn't pursue promotional materials but i did see some promos and so i i figured no she wasn't dead yeah i mean that's and that would also be a pretty big letdown of like oh we're gonna see lily we're gonna see lily we're gonna see lily 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 oh she's dead well which (laughs) which you know given just the course of how these things go. I don't think anybody I would be surprised. Let us know in the comments if you actually thought Lily was dead when the even if you like, especially if you hadn't seen any promotional materials. I'm thinking that the, the writers had to have known that nobody would actually think that Lily was dead when she was been so prominent in the in the flashbacks. This 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 episode, they wonder why they didn't just keep it simply with. You know what? She moved away and no one's heard from her in years or something. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't think. Yeah. But you know what? Emma and Regina have no reason to believe that she's not dead. So, you know, maybe that that got them off the track and that's what was needed. And here's the second thing. Lily, I know you've been living on the wrong side of the tracks all your life, but. And I apologize to anyone out there named Starla, but Starla is kind of a stripper name, Kurt. <laughs> it kind of is. Um, or else it, I was expecting her to have a sister named Mirna. Uh, and I'm not sure how much of an amazing oh race, you God. Are. level five, <laughs> level five, Starla. Yeah, exactly. Starla and Mirna uh, or, or Mirna and Shmirna. Yeah. <laughs> and, I, and before people write in, I know her name was Sharla, not Starna. Uh, Starla. I was I was just. Uh, but that, when, that's where I first went was, you know, Starla, Starla. Blow your whistle, Starla. <laughs> so Emma decides to run after Starla on level five and she finds her outside smoking. And basically Emma just says, oh, I know you. Here's everything I know about you. And Starla does come clean that she is indeed Lily. And she says, you know, I got in, I got in trouble a couple years ago, faked my death. Surprisingly, did not become a lumberjack like people who have been faking their death as of recent. <laughs> and they bring up the whole fate thing once again. But Lily perpetuates her lies by saying, my life is fine. I have a husband. I have a daughter. I don't I don't need to deal with you every time you come here. Uh, things you blow up my life and we get this nice moment where a bus happens to pull up and she says, oh this is my kid's bus and she goes up to this kid and she says hey I'll pay, basically I'll pay you in hamburgers if you pretend to be my kid done that I, I would I'm you know I'm 25 and I would still do that yeah I yeah it's boom I think I'd, I'd be more likely to take it Absolutely. But Emma is uh, not not taking the bait at all, because obviously, which makes sense, because she knows specifically looking back on the flashback, she knows what Lily can do. Yeah, and it's I was I was wondering, I even had in my notes initially. Wait a minute, like her lie detector is not going off and she's and then sure enough, we learned that her lie detector did go off. Maybe it only goes off outside of Storybrooke. Yeah, the, maybe the magic interferes with it. Yeah, exactly. Like, you can only have one power at a time, Emma. You're like Peter Petrelli. <laughs> yeah, nice. Um, one, the only, the one small issue I had at the beginning of this was like, you know, Emma goes, your name is Lily. And how, how did you know that? It's like, I think the first response would be, it's me, Emma. 
versus you show me that birthmark in Hopkins, Minnesota, blah, blah, yeah. blah, blah, bearing the lead, blah, 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 blah. It's me, Emma. But she even say it's me, Emma. Well, she even, makes, and even she if she's a new, come to that. And even if she's a new person, you should introduce yourself with your name first. <laughs> yeah, especially if you already know their name. Yeah. <laughs> their real name. They're non they're non stripper name. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's funny. You know how there's that game where it's like you can figure out what your stripper name is by putting together like your middle name and the first street you grew up yeah. on. Do strippers have a game where they can figure out what the regular name is? <laughs> so we have to take the like give yourself the most mundane name possible. <laughs> yeah. Just 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 a thought. Uh, the, how about like the name of your first boyfriend or something? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so they, so Emma is, is on, is on the case and they show up to Lily's apartment only to find that, yes, there is no daughter. There is no, uh, there's no husband, but they find something even creepier than Lily lying. They find this, again, this giant cork board with possible locations for storybook circles on it. They have pictures of a young Emma and like, uh, I thought this was a really nice touch, like fairy tale pictures, like stained glass pictures of like Prince Charming and Snow White, because she obviously doesn't know what they look like, but it's clear that Lily was on this conspiracy to, to get to story Brooke. yeah and i i really liked this and this is one of those things where i was going along like at the exact same speed as the characters and as the plot was because i was thinking the same thing like it's going to take the moment that that emma voices it's going to take a while to convince her of Storybrooke. i'm thinking the same thing i'm like wait but what if and then sure enough boom you know regina says uh might not take us that long to uh explain everything to her and you see like the kind of conspiracy theory you know corkboard job on the wall and i'm wondering like how often she had to call in the sorcerer's apprentice to help her fact check like did yeah. i get this right yeah uh just remind me uh when you were talking about how snow white uh shares a heart with prince charming now can you explain that to me again i, I kind of got lost in those episodes this actually looks exactly like the chart that i had during the middle of our season three rewatch <laughs> like this is pretty much what it looked like down to a t even with the pictures of stained glass is there something- i had this i had this up on my wall and consulted it as we podcasted about season three is there something you need to tell us kurt have you been in the vicinity of lowell massachusetts recently not recently no not recently good but you know as short-lived as the progress is they find out that lily has i don't know if she was hiding or something when they pulled up but she stole the bug with that happened to have the scroll inside which would mean that if lily made it to storybrook she could basically get to through storybrook no problem so they pursue in a in a hot rod and it's clear that emma is 100 percent tunnel vision set on revenge at the moment yeah it's 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 you know i don't know who sylvia was and why they took her car but um because i think that's what the license plate said so oh, weird or, yeah the license plate was a vanity plate that said sylvia so maybe that was an I, I thought at first that it was uh starla's car uh, lily's car but uh it said sylvia so maybe that's another one of her uh her her pseudonyms maybe it's it was a, it was a neighbor's car but uh yeah this was this was a bit of an intense little car chase here and uh yeah some some expert uh i guess she probably kind of got these skills down from her from her you know bond enforcement days this is totally like like emma pulls like a dom toretto move from the fast and the furious where she like pulls in front and swerves the car around 180 to stop her head on it was it was pretty badass, and Once Upon a Time is not known for its car chase scene, so good on you. <laughs> I think that that might be the understatement of the season. <laughs> Once Upon a Time is not known for its car chase scene. Yes, I think we should. Uh, that should be like the title quote now on the Wikipedia page. <laughs> exactly. 
So uh, there's also before the the car the car chase scene kind of comes to a head. There's actually an interesting comparison here where Regina is once again admonishing Emma, saying, "Please don't go out in this path of revenge." But Emma kind of interestingly compares it to the Zelina stuff, and we'll see that again later on at the end of the episode, where she says, "Like, listen, I don't understand what you know. You are pursuing Zelina, kind of for. And granted, I'm not in love with with." She doesn't have someone I love at this point, but you're kind of after revenge as well. So it's interesting to kind of draw these parallels between the stories. It's not too often that we're able to do this. And so mm-hmm. it's cool to have like two of these main characters actually pointed out on the show. And I think the, and shortly right, right after she kind of mentions that, she she also says, you know, we're in the real world now. There are no heroes. There are no villains. They're just real people with real problems, which I is kind of like another yeah. interesting take on it. Yeah, I, I really again, you know, I love the Shades of Grey. Uh, all 50 of them all 50 of them and i'm i'm happy that emma pointed that out too because it's this this series has been so much about like we're the heroes we should win in the end uh so i'm happy that emma pointed out by saying no that's not true yeah we're the villains and we don't get a happy ending ever yeah exactly (laughs) so once emma catches to lily up to lily we get Again, Once Upon a Time is also not really known for its fist fights, but we got a load of it. Uh, I, I don't know if they brought in Justin Lin from the Fast and the Furious franchise to direct just like 10 minutes of this episode, but it almost seemed like it. Yeah, it was an interesting you know connect, uh, moment between the two of them. And, you know, the the part where, um, you know, Emma catches up and, you know, confronts Lily with, you know, how you know everything, how and. Lily says, does it matter? I'm saying you're going, yes, yes, it completely matters. That's what I want to know. Yeah, that's the big question I have. And later we do get an answer. Um, but, you know, she says that, you know, your parents. Yes, I'm, I'm you know, them. they had a say at this. And then I get in the storybook, uh, you know, and things just kind of explode from there, almost literally in terms yeah. of the headlights of the car. Well, that that's a moment I wanted to talk about, because yeah. when Lily punched Emma in the face, you know, there's a thunderclap and the headlights explode. Is that a reaction from Emma? Because I thought for a second, oh, does Lily have magical powers that we don't know about? Well, it happened almost like right after Lily kind of confronts Emma with the quote unquote fact that. Uh, you know, what are you going to do without magic? Which is interesting because it also shows that in her studies and in her research, she does know that Emma is the savior and that Emma has these magical powers. And so I almost took it to mean more of a, I saw it as something that was triggered by uh, almost in response to Lily saying, saying to Emma, you don't have magic powers. And this was kind of a, are we so sure about that? So I took it as something that was kind of stemming from Emma's emotions. Interesting then, because if that's, if that's the case, then like you said, Emma's, there might be a fact that some magic might not be um, only allowed within the boundaries of Storybrooke. Maybe with, with some people like Emma, she's able to u- utilize her powers outside of the town. Maybe there's a mermaid hiding behind a tree and she was causing everybody to fight amongst themselves. And that was causing the, the, the lightning storm. You know, we saw that before. That's so maybe, true. Maybe this, is all, this, maybe this is all the doing of a uh, hidden evil mermaid. Yes, I think we talked about Dragon Age magic before as the kind of, uh, you know, answer to everything. I feel like, well, a mermaid did it could be the, the other answer that we give. Yes. So blame it on the hidden mermaid. But I mean, everything a mermaid can't, I guess, protect you from a gun here as Emma kind of brings this, yeah. the scene to a climax here where she just draws. She's like, well, if you beat, you beat me up and you say I don't have magic, well, I'm just going to pull my gun on you, which is, again, that's the first time we've seen her do it in a while. Right. 
Yeah, this this thing things things took several turns here. Um, we definitely haven't seen her. I don't remember if we've ever seen her draw in anger, but you know we've kind of got the 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 devil and the angel on the shoulder, sort of with uh, Lily just completely saying, you know, do this, kill me. I'm hard hardwired for making bad decisions. You know, my life isn't worth saving. Uh, and this right here, and Regina's. You know, pulling every line for the from the talk the person off the ledge handbook and trying to get her to you know put the gun down. This is what gold wants. You're better than this. You can't ever you know if you cross that line, the journey back isn't easy. Like she's pulling everything out to get Emma to reconsider this. Yeah, and it's 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 a very I will say I I I had a feeling that she wouldn't shoot Lily, but it is a pretty captive. I thought it was a pretty captivating scene, and I thought for a second you know they showed that kind of wide shot of the three of them which is very reminiscent of mm-hmm. something like breaking bad or better call Saul where in that case it would be a wide shot of, of Lily getting shot so there was a, a twinge in my head that was thinking wait would she actually do that but no she doesn't the when the soundtrack went silent and, and when it pulled wide I thought are we are what are we gonna is she gonna is she what um the only thing that was keeping me from thinking that she wasn't going to shoot her was the fact that this was on ABC and not Netflix. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's literally the, the only thing that was making me pretty darn certain that we weren't going to see Lily getting shot. If this was, if this was on Netflix, like daredevil, I think Lily would have been shot. I, I think, think that the, I think it was on daredevil. Lily would have got shot and then Emma would have kicked <laughs> her face in. And then Regina would have uh, slammed, uh, slammed a tire on her face. <laughs> yeah. It's it, uh so it, but still, even even knowing the fact that the only thing that was making me certain of it was the fact that this is on ABC meant that there was a small part of me that wondered if it was going to like go black and we were going to hear a gunshot or something because they would never show it. No, but um, but but at the, at the same time, I'm you know the next thing we see is Emma and Lily sitting on the side of the road and chatting, and it seems like this is several steps in the right direction for Emma. Yeah. Like, She's trying to get, you know, Lily keeps referring to herself as the anti-savior and and Emma's like, stop saying that. We got to get, get, get that out of your head. So um, I think if the last couple episodes have been Emma slowly going down, down, down hit the dark path, this is her, I think, taking several steps back up the, towards the light. Yeah, I want to bring that up to you, actually, because I know there's been some. I know Brent, our, our big listener slash uh, sporadic podcaster Brent Wolgamot has brought up this point to us a couple times that he thinks he has this theory that Emma is going to become the big bad of season five. But with this happening, do you feel like we are done with this Emma turning dark storyline or, or do you think there's still more leverage to become of it? You know what? There wasn't. I think there's still potential because if this was the big moment where Gold's fans, Gold's plans are undone and defeated, they did not make a big deal about it at all. Yeah. Like this, the, the, it, and so I think that this was a moment of temptation that she, you know, overcame successfully. And again, she took a few, you know, it was like kind of a, she took a few steps back toward the light, but she's still on the dark path, as it were. And mm-hmm. so I think that, um, but she, I think she's headed in the right direction and it's just a matter of, is there momentum behind that or is it going to be easy for her to swing back in the other, other way? So I don't think we're out of the woods yet. 
Mm-hmm. Because it's, I mean, we've seen Emma take a, take a big step in the other direction when she ends the episode killing Cruella. But st- here it seemed to like, if we're going along with this idea of Emma becoming dark, it was sort of one step forward, two steps back in a way. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think if, if, if Gold was watching this all unfold, I think he'd be like, well, that didn't work. But I've got this, this, and this opportunity lined up. <laughs> yeah. Do we? So do we want to jump into this NYC scene, or do you want to save that for the end? Oh, let's do it now. Let's okay. let's, let's put a bow on the whole uh, Regina and Emma, Thelma and Louise duo. Yeah. So they so they make it to New York. They, you know, Regina knocks on the door. She finds Robin. They embrace. Luckily enough, Marion's out. It's enough time for Regina to spill to Robin basically everything in one muddled run-on sentence understandably and as we predicted robin does not believe it whatsoever and this 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 scene just confused me for a lot of reasons kurt because the first big thing where i sort of raised my eyebrows was when marion comes in and she's like she does the thing that you think they would do by saying like what are you talking about you're crazy well before we get to that i i actually went into this scene thinking uh you know what Glamour spell. That's not really Robin. That's Marion. And, oh. and they're revealing everything that they know to the person that they don't want to know that they know. And so I went to this whole thing. I'm watching this whole thing through this lens of that's not really Robin. That's not really Robin. And the moment Marion walks in, I'm like, what? <laughs> and so I kind of overthought things myself. And I don't know, again, if any other listeners out there thought that uh, Robin was actually Zelina. I'm I'm curious because I was completely thinking that uh, that that Robin was just suddenly transformed into Zelina and we'd be like, don't and you'll never guess where Robin is. But no, Marion does come in. And um, that's when I'm like, yeah, Re- Regina really wasn't making things too clear. Like she could have. However, the sorcerer convinced Lily yeah. that everything was going on. Like Regina needed to take notes from him in terms of succinctness and, you know, tell him what you're going to tell him. Tell him, tell him what you told him. Like classic <laughs> presenter, you know, one exactly. <laughs> exactly. So as much as, you know, we, we had this whole typical thing of Mary and Robin saying like, what are you talking about? Oh, you're yeah. ridiculous. Regina, get out of here. I was, and I, as much as I was going to be frustrated for like, great, they went all there the way there for nothing. I don't know how I like <laughs> Zelina just being like, oh, actually, wait, he's, you're right. I am actually Zelina. <laughs> also, I did not expect that. Yeah, like, that for, was, for, she had absolutely no reason to do that. <laughs> For as brief, well, unless she knew how Robin was going to react to the, based on the next bit of news, um, it this for as, as brief as this scene was, I think I completely got everything wrong about this scene. I thought for certain, well, Marion's just is going to. I thought maybe there was like a spell cast over Robin, uh, and we weren't going to find that out until after Emma and uh lily and regina got kicked out i like how lily's just standing there drinking this all in it's like what yeah, just like, happened who, who are like, you people <laughs> and like lily's like what just happened emma well that's magic and i'm like oh okay i'll see you later <laughs> um but yeah now she reveals herself and uh do you want to get through this <laughs> the reveal uh, yeah uh robin has this grim dour look on his face and Regina asks, why can't you go? And I initially thought that, like you alluded to before, it might be some... I thought he was going to say, oh, well, I fell in love with her, and because of the spell, that means I can't leave. But no, it's just because Selena is pregnant. And I... Uh, I, 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 I talked about this before, but I do not like this. <laughs> My first response was, and this makes 
listeners, you may think I'm a really bad person for this. But my first response was, uh, no, no, you can still leave her. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I honestly thought that, too. Like only only on this type, like if, if Once Upon a Time was on any other type of network besides a family oriented one, Robin Hood would be like, I know this goes against my my code and everything. And, you know, it's this this sucks. But you know what? I'm you deceived me. I'm leaving. Only yeah, in this a- type of show would he be like, no, I must stay with her. This was officially entrapment. This is it's like, yes, it is your kid and you can still be involved with it. But it does not mean that you have to stay there in New York with the person who you know, who killed your previous wife. Yes, and who- yes, yes, yes. <laughs> so, yeah, this out of the entire fourth season, and I didn't think much about it at the time, but I know that you kind of expressed your displeasure to me prior to us recording. Upon reflection, this may be. Is this the jump the shark moment of Once Upon a Time? Uh, I don't know if I call it like the jump the shark because I would I would call maybe this because the Zelina reveal the jump the shark moment of the season. But this mm-hmm. is definitely like clearly on the downward slope after jumping the shark of like, but, well, this you just you're just completely staring into the curve here, writers, and you have flipped the car as a result. Yeah, this this for me may be the down this this may be the, the the lowest plot point of the season for me <laughs> i was fine and this is coming i was fine with Zelina coming back i liked Zelina as a character but i think you had said you know prior to the show this is like 80s soap opera twist yeah it definitely <laughs> and I, is and i agree completely with your assessment of that it's it's something you would see on like one life to live of like you can't leave carolyn because carolyn is pregnant and you can even feel like this the mute the orchestra stings that would come behind that announcement i'm just hoping that she gives birth to like a flying monkey and then rob is like wait a minute and she's like oh so there was another guy yeah <laughs> oh it was walsh uh we got lonely in new york yeah it's uh um, so uh, yeah so i i again three episodes left i have no idea how much they're going to encroach this it might be like you said it might be done next episode but i really have no idea what they're going to do with this but i really hope they've kind of biffed the landing at this point but i don't hope they like br- i hope they don't like break their ankles in the process trying to stick this landing yeah and and not to, when you have a character that's pregnant on abc uh you know just like Henry is not going to be shot at some point, you, we are going to see Zelina give birth. That, that I, I 99.9% sure that if she is actually pregnant, there is going to be a Zelina birth. And I don't think that Zelina birth is going to be happen this season. No. Like, so I think, you know, uh, I think we're going to see, we're definitely almost definitely going to see more of that. And yeah. probably not to the fall. Yeah, and so I wonder now, will Zelina become like a member of the main cast? I mean, I know she was brought back in the first place because the writers enjoyed really writing for her. Do you think they're going to say, hey, Rebecca Mater, come on board for season five? Yeah, I think yes. I don't know if I'd say main cast. I think there's the, you know, I think that's that's a loose term anyway. I, I But I think she, she may be back um, for like part of next season. Mm-hmm. I don't think it'll be the whole thing. So let's let's talk a little bit about these uh, a bunch of different little things yeah. that were happening what, what's going what what else is going on in storybrook <laughs> there because i mean it, yeah in storybrook itself there was a good amount going on i mean the main thing here 
is uh, the gold stuff. But first, we need to point out, I know some people responded to our podcast last week by saying, wait, this is Once Upon a Time. I don't think Cruella's dead. I didn't think Cruella. I I left the episode not entirely convinced Cruella was dead. And I I believe it was Jessica Frey brought up a good point that uh, in a previous episode, Anna fell from a pretty similar height when they were in the Enchanted Forest, and she turned out to be fine but apparently it was enough to kill cruella maybe because it was the force of the blast but cruella is 100 percent definitely dead uh, or at the very least we can say she's buried in the ground <laughs> i there's if, if she is if we talk about jumping the shark moment if cruella comes back as a zombie that is the jumping the shark moment i was thinking we're buried alive um <laughs> apollo uh, palo lies yeah it's uh yeah but I, I think apart from some really really um twisted fan fiction i think we all just want to and need to accept at this point that cruella Deville has died yeah which again made me makes me excited the way this show is is going a little dark but now they're going back towards the light in, in more ways than one so uh, gold is is not as dismayed about this a because cruella was kind of a pawn but b he feels like emma is turning towards the path of darkness and you get this really weird shot in the beginning where like they're standing in the graveyard and they just look across and you see emma just staring daggers at them from across the way yeah and actually um if somebody could you know let us know and i don't know if you know i had to rewind it twice mike there are three people at the graveside there were but then it only cut to two of them isaac and gold so i I had no idea who the third person was either i was going to point that out too yeah, and and I didn't know if it was just a because it looked like they were at the point where they were actually literally like lowering somebody, lowering Cruella into the ground. So maybe it was just you know generic you know gravekeeper. Uh, but if it was like a named person, like maybe there's a, a an eighth dwarf named Gravy. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Who's, really, who's, who's the a story? really unfortunate name? Who's, is, who does he enjoy? Uh, does he enjoy Gravy as well? Yes, he, he covers both graves and gravy. <laughs> yeah, the, who is the storybook undertaker? I guess we never find that out because not too many people die in the show. Maybe yeah, it's kind of like a do-it-yourself sort of thing. <laughs> um, yeah, no. So if yeah, if anybody knows who that was, I thought at first it was David. Like in terms of like the color that they're wearing, just the general build as yeah. they were hunched over. But um, it looked like they were kneeling at the graveside. But yeah. Maybe just somebody who's helping with the, someone we shouldn't really necessarily worry about. But I'm glad I was another person who noticed that there were three people there. And so I want to question a little bit about Gold's plan here, too, because there's this other scene where they're in the car and Isaac's saying, like, why are you letting them go? And Gold says, well, you know, the, their latest mission will darken her heart. Did Gold predict this whole thing with Lily or did he just surmise that by them going to New York? Does Gold even know about the plan to get Lily? I don't think that... I don't know if he does. I'm sure that he'd be. Um, here's the thing. I think he knows that they're going to New York to save. He knows that they're going to New York to save Robin. Mm-hmm. And I, and again, I don't think he has a problem with that. I think he, again, we saw again outside the hospital uh, two episodes ago where he's telling uh, where he's telling Robin Hood that he knows who his true love is and he should pursue it. So it seems like he's fine with, I don't see why gold would have an issue with Regina going and warning Robin. Um, But he knows they're leaving. I don't think he knows that about Lily. I had first thought that maybe gold was the person who for some reason told Lily about the whole storybook thing that he knew this entire time. And that was going to be explained away. Um, 
but as it turns out, it wasn't him. It was the Sorcerer's Apprentice. Um, so I don't think necessarily that Gold knows about Lily. Um, so yeah, it'll be interesting to see. He may have picked up that on little things like he, he may realize he may know what the Charmings did in terms of, you know, banishing uh, Emma's darkness into Maleficent's child. But there's several leaps of logic after that to get to the point that they're, oh, there's a baby and she's Lily and she's still alive and she's kind of the anti-savior, if that's a thing. So I don't think that he necessarily knows. He just says, well, she's on the path and she'll walk down that path, whether she's here or she's outside of Storybrooke. And he will. He's going to be surprised when they come back, unless they wanted to more dark stuff along the way. Yeah. So Gold's storyline for the rest of this episode is pretty centric on this whole Bell Gold, Will Scarlet love triangle and it also centers around the fact that something that was kind of glanced upon a couple episodes ago is that or maybe even last episode was that regina took bell's heart in that one scene and she's kind of been using it as leverage to basically get uh get make her way to robin basically make like safe haven to get to robin's place but now that regina's gone gold says all right now it's time for me to get it back now we haven't really glanced upon this love triangle in a while so kurt did you just general thoughts. Did you enjoy the way this was handled? Did you enjoy that they finally brought Will into to have some sort of major plot part? Or did you think it was sort of more of the same? Uh, no, I did actually like it. Um, we, we, this is, we finally get to see more interaction between Bell and Gold. Uh, we get to see, you know, some confrontation between Gold and Bell's current suitor, Will. Um, so I actually I actually did like this interaction. I'd say the only thing that confused me, and it's been something that's been lingering and it, and it kind of just goes back to, you know, the previous episode and my misunderstanding of the situation. You know, we see Regina approach Belle and say, basically, I'm going to need your help with something. And yeah. I thought and I kind of thought that this entire time Belle was complicit in what was going on, that Belle allowed Regina to take her heart and to control her because, for instance, um, the way and the way that Regina could have sold that was I need to entrap gold. We know he's in town. I need you to do it. But the things I need you to say, you're not going to be able to say convincingly. So I have to say it through your heart. So I, I thought that entire time that even though, you know, then, you know, Belle confronts him by the well and then Regina comes out and then sends Belle away. So she won't remember any of it. I thought the entire time that Belle and Regina were complicit in that. And I had no idea until this episode that um, Belle did not have her heart back and that Maleficent was kind of keeping an eye on it. So I think that was that. And again, that I think is just my misunderstanding of the situation. But I also think it's something that Regina could probably have approached Belle with and that Belle might have agreed to. No, I completely agree. And that's, I don't know if if I want to call it a plot hole, but it doesn't make sense to me where, like you said, it seems like we could make assumptions that Regina told Belle about this plan of like, I'm going to take your heart. You're going to go to the well and call upon him. Like, I'm assuming she didn't say I'm going to need your help and then knocked her out. You know, yeah. so it's it, it, it weirded me out when Belle seems so shocked about the fact that Regina was using her heart. Yeah, because like if it's a whole thing where Regina took Belle's heart against her will then that says some things about Regina that are kind of against what we've kind of gotten to know about Regina in the last couple of seasons. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I, a couple of moments that I also liked from the storyline. I did enjoy when Maleficent kind of confronts goals, at the mayor's office, which by the way, was the first time we'd seen the mayor's office in a few episodes too. Yeah. Uh, and gold kind of brings up the fact that like, Hey, 
you know, uh, maybe I'm not I'm not the one to worry about when it comes to bringing Emma on the dark path. Maybe the actions of you and your daughter are the ones to do it, which actually contrasts really nicely to like Lily, the flashback with Lily, where Lily was basically like causing Emma's life to implode on itself by just being around her. So that's like an interesting viewpoint from it that I hadn't really thought of before in terms of, oh, well, maybe that also one of the consequences of this whole dual fates philosophy is that Emma's also starting to be brought being brought down, even though Emma is the brightness to Lily's darkness. Lily is also the darkness to Emma's brightness. And whenever Lily's around Emma, bad things happen to her. Yeah. And this is also where and I'm sure, I'm, I'm sure there's some people who had listened to the podcast and tweeted to correct us. Um, and hopefully we will then get to say, aha, but we're just realizing our mistake. The, at this point, we we do realize here that gold does know that they are going to get Maleficent's daughter, Lily, and bring her back to Storybrooke. Yes. Like, I think we were we were we were wondering earlier if he just thinks they're does he even know about Lily? Um, but yeah. He he does because you know they're having a conversation about it right here, and he and she at least at the very least she explains to him they're bringing my daughter back, and and once that's done, I'll be happy and Emma will be fine. And Gold's like, well, did you ever think that Lily may be the one that's keeping her on a dark path? And so that's so so Gold does know that that is a that is a thing that is happening and does not seem all that concerned about it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The other big part of this this gold storyline for me was his, of course, his his final speech where he steps out of the shadows to basically reveal himself and say, look, I, I'll, I'll admit I've lied to you. I have not been a good person. He talks about his medical condition once again. So I'm wondering if this is sort of Chekhov's medical condition. He had another, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, under the table Chekhov play. And I wonder if, if this will really come to fruition or if he's just kind of using this as leverage but he's basically he basically in this scene says all right i'm official we're officially done will will take care of you goodbye did you get a sense of closure from this scene or do you feel like there's still things to be plumbed here in this storyline i did actually get a sense of closure from it i doubt that the storyline is over i don't think it's ever going to be so simple as and then Bell and Gold are done forever. But I didn't get any sort of lingering f- suspicion or feeling that, uh, but there's another shoe that still has to drop. So I think that this was kind of nicely tied up in a bow. Um, but I think it's just, you know, you know, one book in the saga that is going to probably still continue to be Bell and Gold. Yeah. And um, so specifically, I think there was a little bit of an open end there with that look that she gave him after he left where like she had this very longing look where you're like, oh man, I feel sorry for you, Will, because it, despite him grabbing her hand, she is totally not over him. Yeah. And <laughs> but this, again, this is one of the few times where we ever see Gold willingly and volu- volunteered to do something altruistic without getting something back in return like he this and he said you know this is he because you know if i have ever felt anything for you at any point you know i need to even though my heart is my heart is almost all black now i do need to start treating you right and i'm doing this by returning your heart and i'm returning but will will protect it um and then he just kind of unceremoniously shoves it in yeah <laughs> like will's like whoa, whoa what are you doing to my girlfriend do you uh, do you also think that Rumpelstiltskin or Gold is kind of making amends here? Like, are they, do you think these are what he feels are his going to be his final words to Bell, considering that as he keeps talking about, he's 
he'll be unable to it's not like he's dying but he'll be unable to love soon and his heart will be completely black so does he feel like i need to say something to her now while i still have love in my heart you know i'm not completely sure because it's kind of two things on the one hand you know he knows that his heart is you know black and almost all gone but on the other hand he still seems to have utter confidence in his plan to use the author to get the happy ending he desires so i'm not sure how those two things really can re- really actually do reconcile one another mhm mhm so uh the the other like kind of other little storyline that we got was this one scene where uh, the Charmings go see Maleficent in the mayor's office and kind of try to apologize to her. Was there, was there anything that you could really glean from this scene or do you think it was just a little throw in to get Jennifer Goodwin and Josh Dallas something to do for the episode? I mean, if anything, the only thing it really did was at least it, it helps kind of underline and punctuate and bold and italicize the fact that uh, uh, Maleficent's not the one that they need to apologize to. It's her daughter and her daughter's on the way back. So story. Yeah, they'll, get, they'll get the chance to do so soon. <laughs> they will likely get the chance to do so soon. Um, and, you know, hopefully it's one of those situations where, um, you know, if, if Emma is indeed kind of pulled a little bit further down the darker path, just by being in proximity to Lily, uh, hopefully Lily's pulled a little bit into the light by being around Emma. And so hopefully she doesn't show up to Storybrooke completely bent on vengeance um and you know <laughs> a lot of people are going to get punched in the face <laughs> there's gonna be a lot of face punching <laughs> so if you out there have any theories as to if there's if there is true closure behind bell and gold or if you have a thought about what the timeline might be uh where with lily and the sorcerer's apprentice telling her about everything or if you still have theories as to corella not being dead you have a bunch of ways to contact us uh you can always respond to the comments on the show page right here on post show recaps if you haven't already please subscribe to our once upon a time only feed you can access that at postshowrecaps.com slash once itunes and while there please rate review uh we 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 take we love any and all feedback and of course that's always going to bolster us in the rankings of the uh the group home that is the itunes rating page of course you can also always reach out to us on twitter kurt how can people find you on twitter i am at kurt clark on twitter with two c's and i am at a mike bloom type on twitter but of course while you're listening to this please make sure you check out all the other stuff going on on post show recaps daredevil coverage has just finished as has justify but of course coverage is uh is recurring on game of thrones i just uh did a session with jessica lease on orphan black a few hours ago snl will be coming back next week seinfeld is ongoing we're, we're reaching the spring months and so the podcasts are uh, are are blooming around us in a way uh so kurt to finish off do we have a hashtag for everyone who's made it this far into the podcast i think we have to go with hashtag level five starla yes hashtag level five starla you can spell it phonetically or use use the five if you want to yeah. uh we are we are not picky there but thank you guys as always for listening uh we only have two podcasts left which is a little crazy but we will be back next week probably going to record once again right after the episode again so we'll see what happens we'll see if our predictions are correct in terms of a bunch of storylines being wrapped up in pursuit of a larger storyline to be told over two episodes so again once again hashtag level five starla if you've made it all the way through to the podcast thanks again for listening and remember never have your sketchy boyfriend decorate your squatter apartment take care everyone Bye bye